Hello, Mark. Hello, Brian. How are you? Uh, I'm all right, yeah, I'm doing okay, thanks. Um, yeah, we've been a bit, bit, bit sorry for ourselves. Um, we forgot to do our review of our homework, of the homework that Kate had set at our last episode, so we've had to um, jump onto Zoom and... Um, <laughs> Pre, what, not pre, uh, what's, what's the post record? Post record, pre, pre, post episode. Record, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I haven't felt this kind of I feel like I need to explain myself to someone, probably my mum, <laughs> you know. Yeah, feels like we're on detention, doesn't it? That's yeah, exactly what it feels over. like. As though, yeah, and they're like, please don't tell me, mum, please don't tell me, mum. But yeah, but we have done it. Um, but yeah, by the power of technology, we're just uh, doing this um, our homework before we get into the uh, the next episode. Um, so, how did it go for yourself? Good. I um, I think I said it on the episode that I hadn't done this exercise on myself since training um, in CBT. I use it quite a lot with clients um, when I'm doing CBT with them. Um, but yeah, I hadn't applied it to myself and it was quite interesting. So um, I'd noticed when I started doing it, um, sort of thoughts about wanting to exercise and get back into the gym and things because it's something I hadn't been doing for 18 months, uh, COVID or you know, all the rest of it, lockdown. Um, so that was my thoughts about I need to get back into into the the gym and the feelings would sort of make me feel I'd feel a bit guilty maybe for not doing it or I'd feel a little bit bad about not doing it. So then the behaviour would be, which I noticed would be then I'd eat, <laughs> I'd eat to make myself sort of feel better, um, which wasn't then helping because you know putting weight on and things like that. So right. um, once I was aware of writing all, once I started writing all of that down and started becoming more aware of it, then I could start changing the way I was. God, I was certainly catching myself when I was thinking, um, which had then um, helped me recognise the way I was feeling about it, which had then helped me do something about the actual behaviour. And mm. then actually just starting to go back to the gym, which I have been for the last couple of weeks now, which is um, definitely helping. And I'm feeling feeling a little bit fitter already. Brilliant. Brilliant. And it's so interesting, isn't it? Because I think... Um... That's a great example, you know, get exercising and trying to get back into an exercise routine. God, I've been there many times myself and, and you know, many friends and, and clients as well. You know, it, it's given ourselves permission to actually just say it's not self-criticism. It is just doing that reflection on, you know, what are you wanting to do and, how, how you know, how, how can you feel like you can make the first steps to, to get working towards that? Um, but exercise, I think, is a great example of that, isn't it? Of how it affects our thinking patterns so much if we've fallen out of that routine and, and, and certainly decide to get back into some sort of activity or, or you know, the gym, for example. Yeah, definitely. It, it, it can. I definitely found it really useful. Um, and again, like we say all the time, you know, this is stuff that we do um, a lot with clients, but we sort of sometimes. Well, I certainly do. Can sometimes forget to apply it to myself. So it was yeah. definitely a good little um, exercise. I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that we've done it. What about yourself? How, how did you find it? It was. I did a, a different. I did a slightly different um, way, if you like. But it was very similar in terms of the experience with yourself to yourself. By the sounds of it, Brian, 
um, in that I haven't, um, although I work with clients almost every day using this using this um, approach, this activity of recognizing thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Um, and as Kate Henderson, you know, shared in her podcast, it's looking at the relationships between those those different areas of ourself. But I haven't done it myself for quite a while. It was really interesting. So I started looking at my morning routine, but certainly going back to, you know, I've been working from home for so long, going back into uh, into the clinic and into the therapy room. Um, my routine has obviously has obviously changed, and I felt like I was getting quite frustrated and, and even angry, and, and I suppose a bit disappointed maybe in myself at times, because I felt like I was like always chasing myself for more. You know, I'm always going. Everything's going wrong. You know, when you have that feeling that everything that can go wrong is going wrong, and uh, and what I realised, which might sound like the greatest revelation, but it, it was it was this activity really helped me to just become more aware of this, is that when when you're struggling with your routine and you're feeling like you're really stretching yourself. For me anyway, I was in fast forward mode. I was just doing everything as quickly as I could and as kind of as frantically as I could, you know what I mean? Um, and then I was kind of complaining about myself and then complaining about others. I was anticipating some sort of confrontation or anticipating things will go wrong, um, which of course then triggers those thoughts, doesn't it, of, everything's going to go wrong and then you become frustrated and angry and so on. So I used a bit of a, a, a DBT technique where we tr I tried the opposite action. So still keeping in line with Kate's task, Kate's homework for us. I just tried a bit of an opposite action. So I started deliberately controlling my pace of what I was doing, you know, controlling the pace of my behaviours. Um, doing some belly breathing in the morning as well, just checking in with me, you know, diaphragmatic breathing. Um and this is something I, I, again, I work with clients quite a lot on, but I haven't done myself for quite a while, intentionally trying to talk more quietly, talk in a more regulated way. Because, of course, when we're in fast-forward mode or we're, we're rushing away with ourselves, we tend to talk more animated and louder and quicker and so on. So it's just trying to change those, do the, do the opposite of those behaviours. And you know what? It really did work. It was interesting. I think the other thing with this, this exercise that I found I haven't done for a while is it's given ourselves permission to learn about where we are right now. Do you know what I mean? If it's something that we're struggling with, to change in routine or whatever it may be, it's giving yourself permission to be reflective, isn't it? Um, that's what I find this, um, you know, the doing the exercise about exploring your relationships between thoughts, feelings and behaviours can be so effective with clients. And I certainly found it useful this, this past week or so. Yeah. So, um, yeah, thank you very much, Kate. Yeah, definitely. Um, it sounds like we both had positive experience from from doing it, which is which is really good. And obviously, that's why we do it with with clients because we know um, we know it can be um, it can be good and it can be positive and it can help it can help bring on change. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It can be a really effective tool. Um, so there we go. So we did do our homework. Yes, we did. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> Are we ready for another round? Let's go. See you in there. Hello, my name's Mark. Hi, I'm Ryan, and welcome to the Therapy Shed podcast.
again. Okay. Doing good, yeah. Doing alright, thanks Brian. Thank you for asking. Good, how's your week? Um, good, yeah. I'm doing alright actually this week. I've, um, not that I'm not doing alright. Sounds <laughs> like a, normally I have terrible weeks, <laughs> but this week's been alright. No, I'm doing okay. Um, I've been uh, I've been trying to stay out the rain because we've had a bit of an, uh, it seems to be the case now, an up and down climate, haven't we, by the hour. But um, but at the same time, I know you've said it before, you like walking in the rain. I did actually, I was thinking about some of our, uh, what we've said on previous episodes about finding quite uh, <laughs> therapeutic, like walking in the rain. And I was yeah. walking walking the dog the other day, I had my hood up. I thought, you know what, I can see where Brian's coming from with this. It is something elemental, isn't it, about walking in the rain? Yeah, I just like it. I find it quite peaceful, uh, again, because when it's raining, I a lot of people go out to walk in the rain, so I find where I go, where I go take the dog walk, and it's normally quite quiet when it's raining, so it feels a bit more peaceful, and yeah, there's just something about the sound of the rain. Yeah. I find quite relaxing. I agree, yeah. and um, now you know what I think about when I'm walking the dog. <laughs> Our podcast, and you. <laughs> How have you been? How's your good self? Yeah, good, just normal, busy, um, but yeah, I'm fine, I'm okay. Good, looking forward to today. Yes, me too. Yeah, another episode with a very special guest. And um, shall we introduce our very special guest? Yes, hello, Yenke. Hello, welcome. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, Thank you so much for joining us. How are you today, Yenke? Uh, yeah, I'm okay, you know, I'm okay. I think uh, I'll let you know at the end of the day. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, you know, thank you so much for uh, for joining us in the shed. How are you feeling about being in the therapy shed? Yeah, it feels good. Cool. It feels chilled, yeah. Good. good. Um, well, as we do with all of our guests, Jinka, before we uh, before we get into the um, into discussion and getting to know you a bit more, a little bit of an icebreaker is we ask uh, ten questions that, as I say, we ask all of our guests. So, are you happy to uh, to walk the plank? Go for it. Fantastic, <laughs> thank you. Okay, so without further ado, are you ready? Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> okay, so question one. What is your favourite word? Ineffable. Ineffable. That's a good word. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that, I must say. Can I ask why? Is there a... Often feelings can't be captured by words themselves. Mm. Yeah. Yes. That's a great answer. Yeah. And a great rationale to the answer as yeah. well. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Question two. What is your least favourite word? Something that just came up for me when you asked me that question. The thing that came up for me in terms of words was anger. Okay. Mm. So just the word anger, so what it represents. And what it represents, yes, mm. definitely. Yeah. And in all its context. Mm. You know. So yeah. Yeah, I think the association with that is pain. Yeah. Right, definitely. yeah. I couldn't agree more, yeah. Even the word itself, when you say it, it's 
it sounds quite aggressive, doesn't it? You know, ang- mm-hmm. anger, aggressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds quite. It's, you can't say anger. I don't think without it feeling. Yeah. It stirs up, doesn't definitely, it? Yeah, definitely. It usually invites that kind of impulsive and often destructive mm-hmm. Th- thinking and also obviously behaviour as well. Definitely, yeah. 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 It's interesting your association there with pain, that's the kind of you go to. Yeah. Thank you. Question number three. What turns you on? Oh no, this is the wrong podcast if you're gonna ask me. <laughs> Did you not read the bio before you come? <laughs> I think uh, what turns me on? Well, happiness, joy. Mm-hmm. Okay. That spirit that anything is possible. That is quite an aphrodisiac, as it were, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that you can obtain by yourself or with others. And yeah, and you can see it in others when they're achieving mm-hmm. stuff as well, yeah. you know? So, yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, I like that answer. Yeah. Okay. Question number four. What turns you off? Straight away then I went to sadness. You know. I suppose as a therapist, as a human being, I don't like sadness for myself. I don't like sadness for others as well. I know what I understand as part of the human condition. But it's just sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't go anywhere with that, you know. And there's a lot of pain. You know, we spoke about pain and anger and all that. Sadness is, well, we all experience it at some time, don't we? Mm-hmm. And it goes very, very, very deep, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It goes to. core of our being I think Mm. and I don't think it's something that we talk about a lot do we we just crack on put our masks on go about our business Mm. and we don't really sit with that do we no I mean I I, I try and encourage the clients I work with to sit with not just sadness but all emotions but certainly sadness I think um, it is something that if we learn to sit with it, it can be really useful although it can also be very painful at the same time I think it can be so um, powerful for clients as well because I'm similar to yourself Brian you know you share that with clients so often getting to know sadness um, because I think coming back to what you mentioned there Yinka it can be so powerful for clients I think I think often I've certainly done this many times in my life is we associate sadness with weakness we associate sadness with um, understandably a sense of powerlessness and I think when you try and when you sit with sadness you can work on disassociating that and recognising that it's not a weakness Absolutely. at all it's as you rightly say it's part of the human condition yeah. a, a deep part of the human condition yes yeah okay question number five what sound or noise do you love Just hear that then. Wind. Mm. Okay. Yeah. It was funny actually when you asked the question and I heard the wind, I had a feeling you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I think the 
operate outdoors and listening to the wind mm. it's phenomenal yeah and very powerful as well absolutely mm. and despite our best intentions we've never been able to harness it yet yeah yeah <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah definitely true. Um, question number six what sound or noise do you hate hate's a strong word isn't it mm -hmm. I thought that when I said it then as well. It's a little hate, bit of enunciation. a strong <laughs> word. Wow. <laughs> Actually, don't think I hate any sound or. No, no, that's pushing me now because okay. I, I can't think of anything. What about really dislike? Really dislike. You find uncomfortable, maybe. There's a silence there because I'm really going through my mind to think what I find uncomfortable. I could, I could be, uh, well, I could mention uh, my bit of blue nose mate when they're harping on about <laughs> Yes, you we'll know, have that. Right, you want that one then? Yeah, you can have that. <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll do. <laughs> We've just lost a load of listeners, like, but <laughs> <laughs> um, all in good, all, all in good humour. Yeah. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. Question number seven: What is your favourite swear word? Oh. This oh. is often people's favourite question. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm just sitting off at mine now. My daughter's playing in my corner somewhere and she I'll be watching the match or something and she'll air me. <laughs> I know like uh, this jingle, 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 I've got to put money in the box. <laughs> in the swear jar. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Which word makes the most money in that swear jar? Uh, S H I T. Okay. Always, always. Yeah. Always, yes. <laughs> yeah. Especially when the football's on. Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Question number eight. What profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt? If you had the chance. Never say never. There's so many. <laughs> There's so many there. Well, I'll say one thing and then automatically I'll be thinking of something else when yeah. I say that. This is, yeah, this is just randomness and it just comes to me. A mountaineer. Okay. Oh, wow. A like a mountain guide. A proper mountaineer. An explorer. Yeah. 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 Like flying okay. Everest and stuff. All of that. Yeah. yeah. That's, where, that's where I put myself <laughs> just down. I was just thinking, I was just going to ask you, can I ask where that takes you to if you think if I was a mountaineer, the image I have of myself, is that where it would be something like Everest? I think it's about myself and pushing boundaries mm -hmm. within me. Yeah. You know, I think it for me, along this, sometimes I put barriers in place that stop me from doing the things. Yeah. So being a mountaineer, 
yeah. would be the classic example of you know, pushing yourself to the edge, to the yeah. borders, as it were, you mm-hmm. know. It's life and death, isn't it? You know, people Absolutely. people die, don't people Absolutely. just climb and not even Everest, but you know, um, so yeah, it is literally pushing you to the yeah. edge. Yeah. 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 Great answer. Thank you. Uh, question number nine. What profession would you definitely not like to attempt? Oh, anything to do with advertisements. <laughs> okay. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. And final question, Yinka. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say to you when you arrive at the pearly gates? What took you so long? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great answer. <laughs> okay. What took you so long? Yeah, you didn't need to think about that one either. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that, Yinka. David. I really enjoy this part of it because um, with all the different guests, the answers are so different, but also they're all very relatable and, mm. and similar at the same time. It's, um, and we, we say this all the time, probably if we were to ask you them again, in a week's time, you'd probably be completely different answers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that, that's what I like most about them. I think you learn a bit about yourself, don't you, with those questions? I certainly yeah. know. You and I have said this when we answered them. Um, it's just interesting where they t- our question can trigger your, yeah. your imagination. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess previous guest we had on, uh, Mick Waller, mentioned about the sound she hated was the sounds of cats fighting. Okay. And it's something I, I, I've done answered these questions myself on previous episodes. And I didn't mention that, but as soon as she said it, it just it triggered me. With it was, I remember. I think I was really young. Like it was a summer, and the window was open. Being in bed, and it must have been about four or five o'clock in the morning. And these two cats screeching, fighting outside. And um, I hate that sound. Mm. You don't have anything in your cupboard. What's going on there? <laughs> I hate that sound. Um, and it wasn't until she mentioned it that it sort of really yeah. sort of triggered something for me. Yeah. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. Thank you very much, Inka. Today's episode, um, it was an episode that we've wanted to do and it was actually somebody um, messaged us and asked us to do a, an episode on suicide um, and, and you know we were recommended to contact yourself and um, see if you'd be okay to come on and have a chat about it so we just thought it would be a really important subject to talk about and put out there because we don't think it's spoke about enough I think it's getting better Um, I think you know it's more out there in in public about suicides and um, the effects it can have but I still think there's a lot more work to be done around getting suicides out there and being able to people feeling comfortable to talk about suicide so that that's the idea of of this podcast and I feel like I say this for every podcast but it is a massive subject um, so today's episode we're probably only really going to do a, a an overview and um, but hopefully there's enough content in this that will um, help people understand that um, suicide can be something that can be um, spoken about absolutely um, people can be supported through it um, and with the right um, 
help and support that you know we can as a society reduce um, you know suicide as it stands at the moment mm-hmm. does, does that make sense I think that does it makes perfect sense yes yeah good Brilliant. so can I just ask you because uh, as, as Brian said obviously your good self was uh, was kind of connected to to us because we want to do a, an episode on this uh, on this topic um, but can I ask could you just give us a little bit of a of a whistle stop tour of your your backstory what brought you into the field of therapy and what were the key things in in, in your life do you feel brought you I don't mind so I think uh, yeah I'm happy to give you a little backstory thank you I, th- I can go back as far as being an early teenager you know I think I recognise looking back now I recognise that people would gravitate towards me people would want to come talk to me confide in me knowing that I wouldn't go anywhere else and I didn't see what a gift that was at the time then you know so I used to poo poo that Uh, and this was a constant thing through my teens and through my early 20s you know people would confide in me and that and then I met a lady who sadly is no longer with us named Jill Davies who would have been 68 last Thursday who when we used to sit down and talk I'd have it in tears and it wasn't my intention in have it, to have it in tears but we'd talk about stuff and she always used to say to me you'd make a good therapist you you know, but I was just one of the lads, same as yourself, mm. you know, just going out doing whatever, you know, never give it a second thought. And I'm being really honest with you, you know, living in the city, Liverpool and all that, my career, my background's been very much about regeneration and working with people, working in communities, etc. But selfishly, I needed to think about me. Mm. I needed to have this autonomy to recognise what is it that I want to do for me. I wanted to be in control of my own destiny and not wait until my time was up to get me golden clock and my handshake and photograph and think, is that my life's work? Mm-hmm. You know, so I did opt for therapy and it was a really so it was very much like a concentration and reduction from working with communities, working in areas, in regeneration, and then going into silos of working one-to-one with individuals. Mm. And that was a conscious decision for me. I felt that I could have more of an impact and effect on people's lives in a positive sense. And so, yeah, very much selfishly, I opted for to become a therapist, you know, because mm-hmm. I thought I could make changes that way. Mm-hmm. And you, you see that as being a selfish thought to go, to go into that? Let me change that word, selfish. It was a... It 
who was a pragmatic and a survivalist, mm-hmm. you know, being mm-hmm. raised in Liverpool, being subject to recessions, how many recessions have I had in my lifetime? Three, you know, mm-hmm. being unemployed. I wanted to control my own destiny than rather than government or whomever control yeah. what was laid out for me. So I was, I was making my own path, and I felt that with therapy that that was the most appropriate way for me to mm. do that. Mm. You know, yeah. That makes sense. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. That was really powerful. Thank you. Um, so, see, listening to you this, to. to Listening to your story there, Yinka, I just it sounds to me as though you you described it as a gift that you've always had that um the word that comes to mind is almost that natural way of supporting other people. That's that's felt very fluent to you to be uh personable and to be a supportive resource almost to others. Have you were you aware of that when you were young? No, not at all. In fact, if anything, I'd run a mile. Really? Yeah, big time. I'd run a mile. And it's only in recent years when people talk to me about this and people say, Yinka, you don't see what we see, that the penny's starting to drop. And the missus might say different, but I'm not about the ego, if you're not getting if you know what I'm saying yeah. and for me when I did community development work and regeneration it wasn't about being put forward I couldn't think of anything worse than having the spotlight shone on you but for me it was very much about it doesn't matter who does it just as long as it gets done right mm-hmm. you know that's it first mm-hmm. and foremost yeah. you know yeah, yeah. And, and I think I, I've found with you know a lot of therapists that I've, I've met and come across there's that sort of um the, the word used is that natural em- empath, isn't it? You know, people are just sort of drawn to you and, and you, you just somehow um, have this empathy that people feel comfortable enough to o- open up to you and, and, and talk to you. And I think um, that's what almost pushes people to, to become therapists. Um, I mean, and when you were talking about that, when you were saying, like, you know, especially when you were younger, it wasn't so much when I was younger, but I used to working in an office in town and uh, my wife did as well but I'd always finish about 15-20 minutes before her so I'd go and sit outside where she worked and every single time she'd come out to work she'd just start laughing because somebody would sit next to me and start not just talking to me but telling me open like, up <laughs> opening up like, and, I, and I'd walk away from that thinking like I, I don't even know what to do with that you know that's a gift and Okay, why did you struggle then accepting that? <laughs> Come on, why did you struggle accepting that? Be- because I, I, I don't quite see it as... I, when I say I don't quite see it as a gift, I, I do in, in a lot of ways, but at the same time I see it as that, that's just me. Absolutely. Um, so when Absolutely. I see it as a gift, it's like not... And again, maybe like a bit like yourself, uh, Yinker, around, sort of, I, don't, I don't feel it's, it's not like ego-driven. Um, it's just people would have to point it out to me like my wife would say yeah. how come every time I come out to work someone's sitting there talking to you and to me it was like well doesn't that just happen to everyone and it's like well no one does it to me yeah. <laughs> um, so so maybe, maybe it is a gift and um, 
I, don't, I maybe don't quite see it as a gift, but but yeah, I suppose if I was looking at it on the other way around, I would say the same thing to you. That that's a gift, and probably the same thing to Absolutely. to you, Max. So yeah, maybe it is a gift. So I'll, I'll um, I will accept that. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's that thing with a gift. I guess if you describe if we're describing ourselves as having those kind of gifts within our human, you know, our human construct, it's. Uh, I suppose I think that sometimes it can be misconstrued as we're putting ourselves up on a pedestal, as you say, as we both say, and that's not, that's exactly what we're not doing. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, and that's where you're saying it's not an ego thing. It's more of a it makes sense. This makes sense to me, yeah. and and also it seems like I just have a very similar experience as people saying, yeah, you know, when, certainly when I started training, I'd say, oh, I'm starting to do some courses in counselling. Yeah, I can see you doing that. You know, you get people who've known you before, and they go and they they can envisage you being in that in that role if you like playing that societal role, I guess. Um, and I suppose it's yeah, I agree that it's not a, it's really not an ego thing. It's more of a I suppose the turn of phrase that comes to mind for me is it make it just makes sense. It's like I feel completely fluent. Part of me even thinks it's a bit about again. I think you said before you care about sort of grown up being a, a male from from Liverpool where in my mind you, you know I could go into you know a, a pub or any a gym or anywhere and just start talking to someone and mm. uh, you know whether I knew them or not or um, to me that's just part of I don't know sort of the way is it the way we are or the way I am I don't, I don't know I don't know because I think I, you know, I've said this throughout my life. I've got a schizoid relationship with the city of Liverpool. I love the city and I'll defend it to the hills. But then there's a flip side of it that I hate in terms of its underbelly, in terms of how it treats people in the city and all of that, mm -hmm. in terms of how people are cast aside, etc. But then you put me in somewhere like Manchester uh, or London or whatever. And I'm supporting Liverpool to the max. Mm. You know, it's a unique city. Yeah. It's a unique city, and I'm proud to be a scouser. Yeah. In that sense, you know, I'm so proud to be a scouser. Yeah, and I think you know I can relate in some ways to that in the sense of like most things in in life, it it's not perfect. There's a um, there's always room for improvement. There's always things that could be done better, but. Yeah, you know, definitely. I think at the same time when I've gone to other cities, um, I always think, oh yeah, I'm glad I'm from Liverpool and yeah. not, you know, London or yeah. or whatever it might be. Definitely. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? It's like that saying about a fish only realizes its water when it swims in other waters. And I think with to apply that to what you're talking about there, Yinka, it's I really have that relationship with Liverpool in mm -hmm. that when you go to other cities, all of a sudden you start. You learn well. You learn a lot more about yourself when you obviously engage with other people, and certainly people who maybe you wouldn't, you know, let's say naturally gravitate towards, warm towards. Maybe you learn about obviously yourself, your own culture when you when you start mixing, you know, and um, exploring otherness. Shall mm. we say? Yeah. I think to apply that to the city, I couldn't agree more, and, and really appreciate you sharing that as well. Cause I think I I honestly think a lot of people from Liverpool have that relationship with the city. Mm. They're really passionate it's it's so deep rooted it's such a humanistic city but there is without a doubt a, 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 a yeah another side shall yes. we say yeah yeah, yeah but I, I, I dare say though that we're probably even the best 
city guides when a stranger comes into the city we tell them have you been here have you been there yeah, yeah. have you been to Anfield have you been to Albert Dock have you been to the parks and that you know yeah. Yeah. because we want people see to see the best sides of our city that's so true yeah, yeah definitely because mm-hmm. there is a lot of good sides to there is know. massively yeah, yeah definitely so sorry Mark I was just going to say so just sort of um, at what point and I know as therapist it's something that from the very beginning when you start working um, with with clients suicide is something that um, we have to be aware of um, it's something that as soon as um, a client comes through the door and sits down and we go through the contract with the clients mm. one of the things that we mention is around you know confidentiality and when confidentiality might be broken mm. which is when we feel that person might be at risk or somebody else and when we're talking about that person being at risk we're predominantly talking about suicide but at what point did it become more around sort of maybe I don't know if it's the right way but a general awareness to actually working specifically with suicide as a it, it by on its own I think okay I think it's it's quite interesting when we do, when we contract isn't it mm-hmm. and we speak about harm to self or others mm-hmm. and that but where in our curriculum of learning is there any studying and understanding about what is harm to self and others yeah. what does death and dying and suicide etc look like mm-hmm. it's very it wasn't in my teaching when I trained as a therapist mm-hmm. you know and I think there's a there's a gap there definitely in terms of our tome of knowledge and understanding that we need to acquire beforehand before I would say before we're released onto the world as it were you know I, absolutely yeah, I, I'm yeah saying, I, was, I, I agree more yeah I was going to say you know luckily for me now reflecting back my placement uh, my first placement on my level four was to a bereavement service and that was my first real um, I'd worked in mental health for probably 15 years mm. um, so I had lots of knowledge around mental health conditions and um, things like that um, but actually sitting down and working with somebody who'd been affected by a bereavement a natural occurring bereavement um, a bereavement that had happened very suddenly um, whether that be an accident or something else and um, somebody who'd been affected by suicide yeah. that was my first experience but luckily it was experience while I was still a student and while I was still learning but that was by accident I didn't get told to go and do that because that's what I needed it yeah. was just a placement that I had to go and find I found it and it just happened to be that one which I found really helpful then after that you're then almost expected to go out and find your own do your own bits of training yes. around it but I definitely agree I think it should be a module within um, your core training. Absolutely. I think for me, my introduction, my step into the world of suicide commenced approximately five years ago. No, I mean, I don't mind saying this. I've been, I'd been working as an associate at the University of Liverpool and uh, during the interview, they asked me the suicide question. Mm-hmm. And I completely fluffed my lines. So I didn't get a position there at the uni. Just the sorry, Yinka, just for all just for our listeners who may be unaware what, what what sort of question would that be? What would be a suicide question? So 
basically the suicide question is how would you support an individual who may be experiencing mm. thoughts of suicide mm. okay and either I just panicked uh, rabbit in the headlights fluff my lines this that and the other and so I didn't get the job but then you know it must have been about three months after that the job advert come up to become a suicide prevention advisor nice. with an organisation called Papyrus and that was to work on the phones supporting people and concerned others who may be experiencing thoughts of suicide respond to texts and emails as well to people experiencing thoughts of suicide mm-hmm. so that loss there yeah. of not being able to answer that question actually was a win because it allowed me to enter into that world mm. of suicide and suicide prevention yeah. and actually the question that sort of potentially lost you that job was on suicide specifically which yeah. then led you into working Absolutely. with suicide which that feels almost like it was it was designed yeah yeah, yeah. it was yeah. designed it here's, meant a, to here's be. a deficit now go and do your laying yeah. yeah yeah you know, absolutely and crack on I just uh, and, and thanks so much for sharing that Yinka because I think certainly for myself um, when I first started training and and I think hopefully for listeners as well and we'll, we'll come on to this in a moment I'm sure but even the idea of you know understanding and certainly talking about suicide responding to being asked about it or certainly if there's somebody that that we know who we feel is is suicidal or obviously you know, you know, sadly, attempt suicide, but of course, um, goes through with suicide. All the things that you've just shared there, I think most, if not all of us, would have experienced at some point, you know, in our lives, that sense of panic, you mentioned there, panic and uncertainty, and you've said fluffed your lines. I think it's so relatable, that really is. Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, and all I want to do and convey is, to be honest, these are natural emotions that we would all experience in encounter and I'm fortunate in the sense that I've had a few years of being a suicide prevention advisor that had stood me in good stead Mm. to not feel panicky. I I usually describe it as a when you're talking around suicide etc you can look at that swan serenely gliding across the lake but really underneath the feet are paddling away you know and I suppose that's the way it is, you know. Mm. But for me personally, I feel comfortable with the question around suicide, with supporting people who may be experiencing thoughts of suicide. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, I, I think about that being comfortable is a big part of it, isn't it? Because I think if you approach something quite panicked or quite, you know, anxious, you're not going to get across how you actually, uh, you're not going to get across the quality or the, you're not going to get acro- across um, the the substance of what you need and if you go into something feeling quite calm Absolutely. And, and confident I suppose. Absolutely. And I suppose that panicky, that panickiness, there's a transference then onto that individual yeah, maybe experiencing yeah, yeah. thoughts of suicide, you know, so it's taking that step back, being calm, being measured. Mm helps them relax on themselves, helps them, we've discussed this briefly, helps them to acknowledge that it's okay to be experiencing these thoughts of suicide, mm-hmm. yeah. okay? 
it's not the end. Mm-hmm. And it's co-regulation then, isn't it? Absolutely. Co-regulation, Absolutely. as you say. It's, it's trying to um, decrease the fear and the panic that yes. maybe the the person or and and maybe if people around them are, have got have having that experience um, and demonstrating those emotions, that sort of intense reactive, mm-hmm. you know, nature, understandably as we say, towards you know suicide or suicidal ideation. That can be such a breakthrough, can't it? Just to actually be able to sit with someone like yourself and talk in that in, a, in that really honest and, and hopefully controlled way, relaxed yeah. way. And and knowing that it's that it's okay to feel like that sometimes. Yes, absolutely. If there was one message from this podcast, it'd be that statement you just made. Yeah, that it's okay to feel like you don't want to be here anymore. Or yes, that you know things are very difficult at the moment. Absolutely. But it's that thing about at the moment. Exactly. Yeah. And things will change. Mm-hmm. I'll often say to my clients when when you come in and we go through, um, you know, the confidentiality because I, I always find for for me anyway at that early stage that can be a good time to just bring up the um the conversation around suicide because sometimes um clients that I see might be feeling suicide yeah. or having thoughts yeah. so when I say about breaking confidentiality I also make it clear that if somebody comes in and sits down and says to me you know I'm having thoughts of suicide my first reaction is not going to be going to ring yes. the GP or the police or mm-hmm. whoever it's about okay I, I will always say to them okay you know if and if you do say that we will have a chat about it we'll talk about it we'll um you know, normalize yeah, it exactly I do exactly the same because I think that's important because sometimes I think the therapist when they say you know I'll only break confidentiality if you tell me you're going to harm yourself that person could be like well I'm not going to tell you that then because you're going to break confidentiality course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you have those barriers are there absolutely. straight away aren't they absolutely so it's about how you deliver it yes. it's about how and at that first point when you say that because we don't we only say it the very first session when the client comes mm. in for me I think it's a really good way well it, it has been for me where then a client has then said to me well actually here I am feeling like um, I don't want to be here anymore or actually here I am feeling like I want to end my life um, and once that conversation starts and you realise often it's not about that they, they want to end the life they just don't want to be living the life they're living at the moment yes. and like against that at the moment at the moment mm. yes. yeah Absolutely, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, and it's, um, I think you mentioned there about language, how it's delivered, and I was, um, language is crucial, isn't it? With with all of therapy, obviously, that's all the tool. Um, but with regards to suicide, I would say that's the, it's it's so vital, isn't it? The language that we use, not just in the therapy room as well. In in as we said at the beginning of this episode, you know, one of our hopes for this episode is to try and encourage hopefully more understanding and certainly for ourselves as well talking with your good self Yinka, but also of course for um, any listeners as well just a bit more understanding around suicide normalising it as you say but of, but also encouraging those conversations you know mm-hmm. um, so the language is crucial um, and I just wondered if what your kind of experience is with, with that the uh, our language has changed around suicide I do believe language is changing but but there's still a way to go so for example the primary the first thing is people will use the phrase committed suicide Mm. okay 
committing suicide and using just with that phrase committed suicide you're saying that they've committed a crime yeah okay but suicide is not a crime and it hasn't been a crime since 1961 okay mm. but still the phrase committed suicide is still in our lexicon yeah and you see it written within the media and the press you hear broadcasters use that phrase mm. and it's like come on and maybe perhaps it's like I say it's going to slowly for want of a better phrase die away mm. <laughs> but we don't need to put committed in there yeah. the connotations that we associate committed perjury committed burglary you know committed not, murder committed yeah. murder yeah you know but suicide isn't a crime mm. and that's a thing that needs to be put out there for people yeah passionately so definitely no, I was just thinking as well, and that's so powerful to listen to that because I was thinking uh, you mentioned before about saying that uh, you know talking about the language around suicide and saying that it's okay. You said before, Brian, it's okay to to have those thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, Yinka said that if there's one message that we can take away from this uh, this podcast, it's okay to have have those thoughts now. Mm-hmm. And with then the connection to your future self, things will change. Absolutely. And when you think about committed, it's not okay, is it? No. Whatever we so associate committed with the word committed, all those things you were the examples you were given there, Brian. It's not okay. It's value. It's value laden. It's judgments mm-hmm. that's put on you straight away through that act, mm-hmm. and that's not the case in points. Mm-hmm. You know, so as I would say, over the last since nineteen sixty one. There is a change, but it's not as rapid as, for me, I would like to see. Yeah. I think we need to take on board that, you know, if we're going to talk about suicide, we have to try and, going back two generations, three generations, they talk about cancer with the big C, they wouldn't even utter the word, would they? Yeah, that's true. But now, we're okay talking about it. Mm. I want us to get to the same situation with regards suicide and, and talking about it. Yeah. And look at the progress that's been made. Of course, it's still a devastating um, illness and, yes. and killing his cancer, but look at the progress that's been made. Absolutely. And for me, there's no coincidence, the correlation between people being far more... Um, comfortable is not the right word, but far more willing to talk about cancer and to even use the word... And the progress that's been made with people. But not only are they far more willing to talk about cancer, they're more informed. Yeah. You know, there's more medical research and resources thrown into it to understand it. It's not hidden in the margins. And talking does that. You know, it's that conduit, isn't it? For Absolutely. And ultimately, what that then equals to is a lot more lives are saved. Definitely. So if that was the same with suicide you would potentially have and I'd imagine I couldn't see why not have the same equation that more lives yes, would be saved definitely so even with like you talk about cancer and you, especially again with males things about like testicular cancer and 
uh, prostate cancer and things like that where it's about your courage to talk about it check yourself you know all of them things therefore people's lives are saved absolutely Mm -hmm. or suicide if that was the same if there's the same approach you would have the same effect I would imagine definitely and you mentioned males there Brian as well Um, I think one of the most widely known shall we say widely understood stats around suicide is males are I think the figures are three to to one uh, to male to female um, of suicide rates Mm -hmm. and I just wondered in your experience as well Yinka if we could pick your brains on that one if that's okay what's your what's your um, maybe experience of that but also what's your what's your perception on that why is that the case and is there anything we can do about it is there anything we can do about it starting to do it talking mm-hmm. I think from a male perspective as well we can use that phrase and I'm, I think you want to expand on this later but we can use that phrase toxic masculinity yeah. that gets into so many areas of being a barrier to men reaching out for the support themselves mm-hmm. you know it's a massive hurdle that we need to overcome mm-hmm. and it's I think it's really interesting how women why is it that women feel more more comfortable talking about emotionally how they're feeling and those males we don't Mm. why is that I know it's not an answer for today in there Mm. but if we can have environments if we can have groups whereby men can be open and honest and talk about how they're feeling without fear of judgment Mm -hmm. Then the world would be a happier place in my respects. And I think I think you know, like you said, it's quite a, a, a broad question, isn't it, of why? But I think the starting point for me is judgments. I think women potentially with their peers and, and other women feel less judged, where men maybe feel more would feel more judged or feel like they would be judged. Um, and also I think traditionally which is where toxic masculinity comes from is what it's like to be a man is talking about emotions so showing emotions can be seen as weak can be seen as um, not being a man so how do we break that down in the therapy room by showing it's okay to show those emotions and express those emotions and um, being open I think and and for me anyway it's normalising that it's okay to not be okay as the that's what the saying goes which which I like I mean I've worked with I think I mentioned on the podcast before over the last two to three years I think it's getting a lot better there's a lot more I'm seeing like a lot more younger males from the age of say 16 to maybe 20 25 who are more open about talking about their emotions um, still not much suicide I don't think I still mm-hmm. think that's a little bit behind which again the idea of the likes of this is to try and bring that up a little bit more encourage that yeah encourage but that conversation I, I do think it's getting a little bit better with males talking about their emotions a little bit than compared to maybe 10 years ago mm. um, and I think that is through things like podcasts social media um, more male therapists maybe definitely. maybe definitely um, and the destigmatizing of, of mental health as well. Um, the, you know the 
the the increased access, the increased availability of mental health, as we've said on previous episodes, Brian, it's still nowhere near what we believe, or certainly I am mm-hmm. sure, sure all of us feel it, it, it needs to be. Um, but it's, it, you, you mentioned over the last 10 years, well, over the last 10, 15 years, you know, mental health resources have, have obviously come on leaps and bounds. Uh, the other thing, just to come back to Yinka's question there, the other thing I would I would just add to, I agree with everything you just said, obviously, but the other thing I'd add as well is reflecting back maybe to um, a male, if we're talking about in the therapy room, a male, but also friends and family members as well, you know, male friends and family members. Some of the associations we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Yinka, about, um, I mentioned about maybe an association between sadness and weakness, and once we, if we think about it as literally as that, you go, well, and I often say this with clients, would you say that to somebody else? Mm. If if a friend or a relative or somebody, you, colleague, whatever it may be, was sad, would you think that's just a weakness, that, that's because you're weak? I've never had a client yet who said yes. In fact, most clients laugh and go, I'd never say that in a million years. Of course, you have, a, you have that as well, Absolutely. yeah. And I think, so, so, you know, when you ask that question then, so what, what can we do about that? I think... It, as our societal role but as, as therapists but I think just in as members of society as well I think a big one is to try and re- reflect back those associations between where does being a man or being male mean that you can't be sad or affected by things or upset or feel mm. you know that feel pain and acknowledge pain do you know what I mean and, and, and I think that's a big one as well because so often when you have that conversation and I've experienced this myself, certainly in my younger, it, you know, it, when I was younger, when you have that conversation and certainly in a relaxed environment, in a relaxed body, shall we say, it can be so powerful. I think it can be so powerful just to go, yeah, I would never in a million years say that another man was weak because they're sad or they're in pain or, you know, and trying to unpack that I think is so, so important going forward. I think for me, listening to what you're saying there, Mark, for me it's about self-compassion. I think it's about self-compassion. You know, if you feel sad, it's okay to be sad. If you feel angry, it's okay to be angry. If you feel scared, it's okay to be scared. If you feel happy, it's okay to be happy. Um, Because our emotions also don't define us either, do they? Absolutely. And we're not locked into them. Mm -hmm. It's the next thing you feel, isn't it? The next thing you think. It's how how you then respond to... Anger, yeah. sadness, pain, whatever it may be. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. And I think the thing with, with suicide is that's almost seen as the next almost the next level up, isn't it, from feeling sad, angry, scared. So then therefore if you if if it's difficult to express feeling sad, angry, scared, then how much more difficult is it to talk about or open up about feeling suicidal? I think for me, in terms of suicide, I never ever thought I'd ever be touched by suicide. In fact, it wasn't it wasn't even in my noggins to think that yeah, somebody who I know, somebody who was close to me, would die by suicide. Mm. And when I experienced it, I was angry. Mm. I was gutted. I was sad. You know, it knocked me off my axis mm. as well. I wasn't prepared for it, even though I was being a suicide prevention advisor. Yeah, I wasn't prepared for it whatsoever. But it happened, and there is a lot of sadness in that. You know, 
but I also think about you know it goes against our sp- the human spirit for suicide to want to occur mm-hmm. so I also think about what pain was that person in yeah mm-hmm. to contemplate and to die by suicide mm-hmm. it's unimaginable mm. and yet suicide is the biggest killer of young people mm. in the UK so it feels like there's a, a lot of that pain going around isn't it for, for people um, I'm feeling either a feeling of not knowing what to do about it or not feeling able to do anything about it as in not knowing the likes of agencies that exist to yeah. support and you know if you know if you ask if you ask young people where to turn to if you're feeling suicidal a lot of young people won't know mm-hmm. you know if you ask people in general what's the biggest killer of, of people under the age of 35 they'll probably say road traffic accidents or knife crime or something like that in reality it's suicide yeah you know can I ask, and again, this might be a bit a com, if um, well, it's certainly a bigger conversation than we can get into now. But just to, but just if I can just pick your brains, um, Yinker, on that. What do you feel are the, um, are the key reasons, um, and if there are key kind of reasons, what do you feel there may be as to why suicide now, let's say nowadays, to use that broad term nowadays, is you know the number one killer for certain and certainly with males of um, particular age ranges why is that the case nowadays compared to previous decades I haven't got all the facts and figures in front of me but I would hazard a guess that I think back in 2000 was it 2010-2011 the government spoke about parity of esteem didn't they they spoke about uh, your physical health will equate to your mental health and vice versa so what that meant was if you go into hospital and you bust your arm or your leg you're going to be seen to instantly etc mm. and the same vice versa in terms of your mental health if you're struggling mm-hmm. they put a little bit of money in back then they recruited PWP psychological well-being practitioners etc but the reality is, is that that was just like an elastoplast over mental health crisis Mm -hmm. now moving forward we've lived in these austere times and we've saw a slow dismantling and erosion of services Mm -hmm. services that mean they don't address people's immediate needs so access at the point of need waiting lists are massive Mm -hmm. for young people even for adults yeah. and it may take you from time you present at your GP or wherever to getting an assessment to eventually being put on a waiting list and then being seen that could take up a, up to three months really if you're lucky if you're lucky really would it take you three months to get your broken arm mended no yeah. it wouldn't mm. but that's the reality yeah. I don't know I don't know if you've listened to Keir Starman's speech uh, last week and he spoke about uh, a billion pounds would be put in 
to recruit 8,500 mental health practitioners. Right. Okay, I was doing the maths on that. I think it, it equated to about 100. And if those 8,500 practitioners, I don't know what guys they'd be, mm-hmm. but they've, over the life cycle of that billion pounds, they'd probably see about 137 people, okay, in one year. But the reality is that that's chicken feed, that money. Yeah. Okay? Because if you're if he's saying that he's going to put in another 8,500 practitioners, you've got to think about how much it costs for training, X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. before they reach that level, that yeah. standard mm-hmm. that they can go and work and support people. So for me, I think there needs to be, even though that's a well intended, doesn't really address what the needs are and concerns our young people are not being seen mm. as quickly as what they should be mm. you know adults male and female are not being seen mm. as quickly as what they should be and sadly because I'd never thought I'd say this I'd said to people as I would say on the phones and papyrus if you've got the means and the resource to go privately then go privately mm. yeah and, and I, that goes against my, it goes against everything that I believe in. Yeah. But if you've got the resources to go True. resolve something, you Definitely. don't have to do it. Yeah. We've, we, Brian and I have had this conversation, I think we've, we've spoken about some previous episodes as well. It does, I completely agree with you, you can get it, does, it goes against my ideals as well. Um, and moral compass unfortunately the human elements does kick in and you th- and as you rightly say it's like if you've got the resources then you you know you've to, to use that f- maybe flip and turn a phrase you've got to do what you've got to do to, to you know to to um to access the, the the support you need if it was up to me there'd be two things as therapists we'd be remunerated that'd be done separately hmm. but therapist at the point of need or therapy at the point of need should be free to each and every mm. single person who wants it mm-hmm. no questions asked yeah. Yeah. and it shouldn't be I mean you said three months as you as you mentioned Brian you know that'd be that'd be a decent turnaround I'd, I'd be know, pretty know. optimistic yeah. at the moment there's some a lot some services you might be thinking about nine months twelve months and of course like as you rightly say if you were to if we if we are genuinely sincere about this equating mental health to physical health it sounds barbaric to think you could walk into a hospital with a, you know a, s- a severe physical uh, injury or ailment and they'd go come back in nine months because we're busy at the moment and all stick on a waiting list with a broken arm or yeah. whatever it may be uh, e- even I think with when I'm thinking of that I think if you present to the A&E um, with a mental health crisis they might give you a bit of medication or something that would take the edge off a bit like if you went to any with a broken arm they might plaster it up but where the problem for me I think comes in is with that broken arm you would quite quickly get physio because if you don't your broken arm will stay stuck in that position um, and I think a bit like mental health where you might get that crisis sort of as I say like a medication to just take the edge off but then if nothing comes quickly after that you can then end up stuck Absolutely. In that, you know, mental health state or crisis yeah. or you know place that you are, often gets worse 
um, from my experience. So I think you know I do think there definitely does need to be to be more out there. But and it's so difficult, isn't it? Because I I have my private practice, but I also work for a charity. Yes. Um. For the same reasons that you've just said, Yinka, I think I you know for me an ideal world would be I have a private practice, but the government say to me right here's your wages for the year and you see as many people as you you know realistically as you can free um, so it's still my private practice but I'm being paid by the government and not by individuals but unfortunately with conditions and a co- yeah absolutely yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah you know you, something you, like where you could work in that way where there's a hybrid between it not being private practice and I know, I know you, you you know we don't do this but private practice with just like bandits where you're just making as much money as you can well that's for whatever that's, you that's know what I mean exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. can I just go back to uh, crisis team and hospitals we have a wonderful NHS mm. that are stretched and pulled to smithereens yeah you know somebody presenting with thoughts of suicide goes invariably to hospital to A&E presents and they'll have to wait maybe six, seven hours there. Yeah. These are the realities, mm. okay? That's unfair on the crisis team and it's unfair on the person presenting. Yeah. You know? The people from the crisis team will see that person who's been waiting six and seven hours and say, go home and have a cup of coffee or wrap yourself in a blanket. And I'm not being flippant when I say that because I've heard this mm. countless occasions. But there's there's an issue here. The issue the issue is is that the NHS is stretched. It's pulled. And since I've been a therapist, it, you only have to go onto the NHS website, and it will show you a hundred thousand vacancies. Mm. Okay, if an institution has a hundred thousand vacancies, it means that it's not functioning fully and effectively. Yeah. Okay. So, with the best will in the world, the staff in the NHS are doing the best that they can do on limited resources. Yeah, 100%. You know, and it's shocking that this revered system that we have is so, underfo- so underfunded. Mm. 100%. I mean, I, I worked in the NHS for 14 years, and about seven of those years was acute mental health. So. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you. What am, am I telling? No, that's exactly how it is. You know, you know exactly. I, I'm, I was prepared to be shut down if I was wrong. No, but no. I tried. Went on the phones to people. I tried to say to them, "This is kind of expect this experience mm. if you go there." But I equally think that there's an opportunity for community and voluntary sector organisations to come together. Yeah. and pool their resources more effectively mm. in order to provide that safety net of support. Mm. If the NHS can't do it, why can't the community and voluntary sector do it mm. much more effectively? Yeah. Oh, and I, I, I think that's, again, something you and I have spoken about, isn't it, Brian? But it's so powerful to hear you say that, Yinka, because to come back to, um, you know, to, to, to talking about suicide I think something you mentioned to us um, listeners may be surprised to hear this but we actually do a little bit of prep we do a, we try and we try and prep our episodes this might may not always come across <laughs> but uh, when you know meeting with your good self Yinka in, in preparation for today's episode we um, something you posed to us which I thought was a really insightful question for me 
whose responsibility is suicide and you mentioned there about the community and you know charities voluntary third sector organizations but the wider community as well you know when we're talking about for me i suppose what i got from that question i took away from from our conversation was whose responsibility is it in everyday life not just in a professional sense but also in a as you say a community sense in a person personable sense yeah for me I think it's societal responsibilities. Mm. We've all got a role to play within all of this, you know. If it means that we have to upskill and learn, then do so. Mm. But we've all got, a, I think, an obligation yeah. to support our fellow man and woman, mm. you know. And, and as my good supervisor would say to me, if you've got skills and all that, why wouldn't you pass it on? Yeah to others yeah you know why wouldn't you we should be a community of caregivers mm. to help those less fortunate than ourselves definitely in the best way mm. possible yeah and i think with with suicide you know like you said you know until you sort of touch by it but i would be what's the word i'm looking for um the way it's not coming to me now but i i think most people that I know of at some point will have been touched by it at some point. Without a doubt. Um, whether that be a friend, you know, or a family member, or a colleague, or somebody that you know, maybe in your local pub or gym or you know where, wherever. Um, I, I would imagine that if people looked maybe just slightly beyond their maybe family bubble, yes. they would have been touched by suicide Absolutely. or affected at some point. Absolutely. I think the stats goes along the lines that one person's death by suicide can have a knock-on effect from maybe 10 to a thousand people. Mm. Wow. Okay? Yeah. From 10 to a thousand people. That's a lot, isn't as it? As powerful as that stat is, as the, I said wow, but you said I can imagine, and I thought wow, but yeah, that makes perfect sense as well. You know, it's such a, it's such a, a bomb isn't it in the in the world of everybody connected with absolutely us. and it's that body politic isn't it that we don't realize you know you hit your little finger the rest of your body feels it doesn't it <laughs> yeah. there's a knock-on effect there yeah. you know and it's the same with suicide we may not acknowledge it all the time but there is a ripple effect there yeah. mm. you know and even when we look at stars from the likes of gary speed and football the welsh manager you know uh, Robin Williams, Caroline Flack, etc. Yeah. Mm. The outpouring of emotions by their death yeah. from suicide was immense. Yeah. And we always look at these things like, but they had everything going for them. Life was wonderful. Life was. We don't know what was going on in mm. their lives. No. It's that public and private self, isn't it, which we all have. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think within all of that, the message I'm trying to convey is that. Suicide, suicide doesn't occur in the vacuum. Mm -hmm. Okay, it had knock-on effects to each and every single one of us. But, you know, and I think what they say: when an immediate family member dies by suicide, your the other family members are ten, ten times more susceptible to that mm -hmm. death, suicide as well. You know, so it's very much about how we look after our selves how we look after our immediate family and support them yeah. and the knock on effects each other yeah yeah definitely because i think with with 
suicide and people who are affected by um, suicide if somebody has taken their life that for me the people I've worked with who've been affected by it that grieving process is not the same as when somebody's maybe lost somebody to um, a natural cause and death or even um, an accidental death mm-hmm. um, you know like to be involved in a car crash mm-hmm. so if, don't get me wrong they're really devastating yeah. no of course yeah, but, but, but it's the point you're making but as you said that a natural cause of death it got me thinking about language again mm. because if that person's choice is to die by suicide mm. that's natural to them do you see what I'm saying uh, yeah yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's interesting. I know we're talking, but, but I'm think just thinking about language there mm, as well. Yeah, you know? and I think that's hopefully, the, as we're saying, you know, we've, we've said already conversations, hopefully, like we're having today, and more and more conversations in the future uh, around mental health as a, a as an overall subject and discipline, but all, but particularly around suicide, can encourage that development of language because when you said that, Brian, I yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I didn't think of it with a critical eye, but then the second Yinka kind of yeah. just added a slightly alternative sort of well, hang on, let's think about and reflect on that. You go, yeah, it's normal for us to think that suicide's abnormal, and yet when you actually, if you were to, that's probably part of the stigma, isn't it? That's part Absolutely. of the reason why we, a lot of us struggle to talk about it. And I think I wonder if it's to do with that understanding, isn't it? That if somebody um, dies of what we would class as natural causes. That's seen as people can understand that. Well, that's acceptable. It's accepted, yeah. Yes. Where with suicide, it's seen as not under um, normal circumstances, or it's Absolutely. not seen as yet. Yeah, you're right, acceptable. Yeah. Um, and and I think I think you were alluding to it as well is that those people who live after a loved one has died by suicide, what is it that they're carrying mm-hmm. themselves? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The grief is there, but as shame added into that, mm. you know, is uh, I don't know, all manner of things. Anger. There's anger and all that, mm. definitely within all of that. But it's how we as a society look and deal with suicide yeah. as well. Mm. Because make no bones about it, we're here to prevent suicide. Mm. We're here to oh, support course, people, yeah. you know. But it's about what do we need to do? what measures need to be put in place effectively to support people who may be in that psychological distress that they can see no other alternative. Mm-hmm. What what would you say that that thing was? Wow, that's a good question. You know, what did they say before it doesn't what did they say before? It doesn't matter who does it just as long as it gets done. Mm-hmm. Think it's about having resources out there, yeah, making it known to people, okay, removing the stigma and shame around what we mean by mental health. Mm. Because, even though, again, going back to language, even just saying the word mental health in some environments can be seen as a negativity, definitely, agree more, yeah. Yeah. and it's like, it's really, really? Yeah. we've all got mental health. Mm. Yeah, come on. So it's almost like that. So that the, that's that word association thing again, isn't it? Um, yeah, I really appreciate it because I feel language is so powerful, isn't it? Yeah, and the yeah. way language is manipulated sometimes and weaponized absolutely can be can be and often is devastating. Um, but come on, you mentioned there about mental health, the term mental health. 
again, it's, sorry, that's what I was going to say, it comes back to that word association thing. Mental health, how oh, that person's really struggling. They've, you know, there's a weakness there. There's a there's an open wound there, you know. There's, there's Show me a human being who doesn't have mental health, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> and there's, there's times where, you know, I'll talk about mental health in the arenas where I know people understand, understand. what I'm talking yes. about. Where in certain areas, I will change my language to call it mental wellness because people, it sounds a bit... See, so you're even aware of that then? Yeah, yeah I'm totally aware you know, of it, yeah. You, and you have, to, you have to change, basically like a photographer changing the lens depending on the picture that they're trying to capture. Oh, I like that, that analogy, great. <laughs> <laughs> right up my street. That one. It's true though, absolutely. Yeah, yes. I completely get what you're saying. It yeah. is. And it's, you know, until we utilise the likes of the media more to get that message across, we're still going to be stuck in that mindset of committed suicide. Yeah. You know, I was just about to say that, um, about that for me, that's one of the first things that probably needs to change, isn't it? That, that word of committing suicide. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm just wondering, Yinka, around sort of um, support for people out there um, okay. who may be feeling um, suicidal okay. or for even, even for family, we spoke about it being a, um, a whole community response, but you know, for people who may be worried about somebody what what would you say would the sort of best resources do you have a, a list or do you I've got a list I can mention some now that would be great if you'd be happy to you. share that would yeah. be fantastic and obviously I would champion Papyrus's Hope Line mm -hmm. that's specifically for young people under the age of 35 they're open every day every day of the week including bank holidays mm -hmm. from 9am until midnight their telephone number is 0800 068 4141 that's 0800 068 4141 mm -hmm. and they can help both people experiencing thoughts of suicide and also caregivers okay you know parents loved ones who are worried about somebody mm -hmm. experiencing thoughts of suicide there's another people are familiar with Samaritans anyway you yeah. know mm -hmm. so they're 24 7 as an operation but another good organisation would be uh, the campaign against living miserably. Ah, uh, calm. Calm. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, their telephone number is always hundred five eight five eight. That's always hundred five eight five eight, and they're open every day of the week from five pm until midnight. Okay. okay so mm -hmm. there's no age restriction there on that one. Mm -hmm. For young people. Uh, under the age of 25 then would certainly mention the mix the mix is a resource for young people under the age of 25 they have an excellent interactive uh, website loads of forums on there so any subject matter you wish you wish to discuss or explore about whether it be mental health whether it be sexual relationships whether it be studying in school college university call it what you will it's a website designed by young people for young people. Mm -hmm. It's really good, informative, and uh, 
they have a helpline service which is open from 11am until 11pm and their telephone number is 0808 808 4994 that's 0808 808 4994 they also have a one-to-one -one chat service and a crisis messenger service that right. you can utilise as well like I mentioned before, there are loads of community, voluntary sector, third sector organisations that if we pool resources together, we can make a difference in people's lives. Let me give you two more okay, go for umbrellas, umbrella organisations that people might find useful. One is called the, the Hub of Hope. Mm. So, are you familiar with them? Yeah, so, yeah, the yeah. Hub of Hope is an umbrella organization as it were it's like a directory spot yeah. on and what you do you put your uh, postcode in and it will generate an array mm. of support services in a 30 mile radius yeah. of where you live okay mm. uh, you've got hub of hope another one for young people is something called youth access yeah. that yeah. does a similar thing it's another directory put your postcode in and it will generate an array mm -hmm. you know I don't, you've probably already said this as well, but when it comes to, you know, therapy and seeking out therapists, if people can, look on the BACP's website, look at the uh, Council and Directory's website, look at... Psychology Today. Psychology Today, but read the profiles. Yeah, mm. definitely. Read the mm. profiles, see what they specialise in, and maybe, if they're worth the salt, they'll give you an hour, an hour, 20 minute assessments yeah. to yeah. see if you can work with them, yeah, you know? We've said this before, haven't we, Brian, as well, for anyone who who may be taken from that and thinking, oh, okay, I'll contact someone, but I'm not sure about, you know, paying, let's say, or I'm not sure I was engaging with them until I've had a chat with them. If any therapist or counsellor should really, we would say, should be willing to offer you that 20 minutes, half an hour. Absolutely. Um, you know, conversation, introduction, shall we say, just to get to know each other a little bit. Absolutely. So and to see if you can work together. Yeah, absolutely. Same as, like, you know, whether it's, um, I don't know if these analogies are good. I'll give, I'll give you the analogy okay. that I always use. Right? He's good for analogies, isn't I it? Always say to people, I always say to people, do you like fish and chips? Invariably, they'll say, yeah, I like fish and chips. Yeah. So I say, if you went to the chippy and the fish was no good, would you go back there again? No. Yeah. You wouldn't. No. So why do people feel the obligation to do that? Like compelled. Yeah, yeah, I love that yeah, one. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like almost like you're compelled to. Uh, you know. Well, I've said I'll go. Or. Well. They're they the must. Experts. They must. Exactly. Yeah. You bow to the authority. Like, they must, no. Shouldn't be the authority with a therapist. Yeah. 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 You're the expert. Yeah, yeah. You know more about you than any therapist or anybody else. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I always say that to clients as well. Every single client. Well, yeah, it's on you. Yes. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, That's definitely. It. And I think the, the other thing to say is if, if anybody listening is worried about anybody um, in regards to suicide or mental health, to so just go and speak to them. Ask the question. Ask the question. Ask the question directly. Yeah. You know, I can't overestimate just asking that immediate and like question about thoughts of suicide you know are you experiencing thoughts of suicide it's either yes or no mm. okay if it's no jobs are good but if it's yes okay let's go further then 
do you have a plan for suicide and explore with that individual what that plan may be okay if they do have a plan one of the things we were taught is never to talk about method the means of how you intend to die by suicide because we don't wish to be suggestive okay but exploring with them giving them the space the room to talk about what that means may be is a good way of understanding what their plan mm. is yeah. and then we would support individuals to be able to what we call disable that plan mm-hmm. mm. okay yeah but it needs to be as alluded to before a calm and measured way mm-hmm. because what we don't want to be doing is uh, getting all panicky and passing judgment on an individual who may be experiencing those thoughts as well yeah yeah we don't want to add to that in the intensity that they're already the individuals likely already experiencing we want that cope like we mentioned earlier on that co-regulation sort of that relaxed conversation i i I completely agree yeah and i think it's a little bit of you know some of those myths around um trying to support somebody who might be feeling suicidal around if you speak to them about suicide they're more likely to um, go through with it which is, which is a myth. It's a complete myth. Yeah, it's a com- an absolute myth. There is no research out there that says talking about suicide will move forward to... Increases the likelihood, yes. yes. It's not true. It does not exist. It's important to ask that question. Yeah. And I think another myth is around people who talk about suicide are not going to go through with it. That's, not, that's a myth in itself, mm-hmm. you know. Often, often... You know, 2020, we can have a 2020 vision with hindsight as a way, you know, yeah. it's brilliant. But often people do give off signs. Yes. It may be things like, I don't need this watch anymore. Yeah, I've my season tickets, I'm not going to need that anymore. Mm. It could be something like, where's the, all the insurance policies getting me life in order? Right, yeah. It can be all manner of things, you know, mm-hmm. but it's just being attuned to be attuned to spot on the signs out there yeah you know and i think within all of this we certainly do look at high risk groups you know mentioned about young people but and we spoke touched on toxic masculinity and all of that but that middle age age group for males Mm -hmm. as a high risk group as well similarly you know, when you look at the uh, life sciences, the medical profession, you know, doctors, nurses, you know, vets, mm-hmm. that's a high risk group, mm-hmm. as well as the agricultural sector. Yeah. Right, okay, yeah. That's you interesting, know. I didn't, I yeah. didn't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, I knew obviously high stressful jobs would, yeah. would fit into that. I know it was also, at one time, it was, um, the numbers were quite high within police force as well okay okay um, i don't know if that's changed but i, I do i'm not too sure about that um, but i think the ones that i mentioned before they're high category high category risk groups because they have access to means don't they yeah of course, of course. yeah yeah ah and you had and you had heard of that before when you mentioned agriculture yeah agricultural industry yeah and that's that's the yeah. uh the, the key factor isn't it is that they have the access to the yeah, yeah the means yeah mm-hmm. absolutely um so it, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say just while we were, we were we touched on it, is there any other myths 
out there that you think are important to to mention um because i think again you know a lot of what we're talking about to do with social media and, and just the media in general that sometimes they feed into those myths don't they um which well I, I think, think they yeah I agree and I think help. they play on they they take the stereotype and, and almost sell it don't they that's yeah. unfortunately that's built into the equation of a lot of uh, the media can be that sense of um, this is what is conventionally understood as suicide and what it is and what it looks like and the reasons for it mm-hmm. so we'll just you know we'll sell that back to to us you know to the yeah. public you know to the to the consumers of the news and, and media outlets um, and yeah, that doesn't do any favours at all for trying to destigmatise suicide and all other things that we're discussing today. I know I mentioned about high risk category groups, but I think one myth that needs to be dispelled is that it's just solely those high risk groups. Suicide can happen to anyone. Yeah. Okay, it can happen to anyone. I think that's an important message to convey. Yeah, definitely. And that's why in turn it's important to ask the question mm. to people and trust your gut instinct yeah if you feel that something's amiss trust it yeah. ask the question as i said before the response is either yes or no mm. i think i go back i talk about our neighbors do you know your neighbors do you know your neighbors Genuinely, do, yeah. you, do you know them? Oh, properly? do we know them on a so, no? Okay, so the, no. okay, so the question I generally ask people is, uh, what do we often do when we see our neighbours or anybody like that? We just ask them, how are you doing, and how did they respond? Yeah, I'm all right. They say fine, don't yeah. Yeah. and then we just crack on and go on about our way. Yeah. But in reality, I like to ask, what do you mean by fine? Because by asking the second time, what you mean by fine? means that you're ready, willing and able to listen to what it is that they've got to say. Yeah. And I don't think we do that enough. Yeah, definitely. And you're using neighbours as you know, our neighbours as a great example there, but I'd say also that applies to family members, that applies to friends, you know, actually asking are you okay twice? Yes. And or and as you say, Yinka, what do you mean by fine? That can be such a powerful thing, just opens up that conversation. Um and if there's one of the big things that we try and um, encourage through our podcast, Brian, I would say it's that have the conversation, talking always, always validates somebody's, um, you know, feelings, emotions, somebody's thoughts. If validate, we validate each other when we, you know, when we ask, "Are you okay? Are you okay? Yeah. What do you mean by fine?" I think that's that's such an um, such a powerful communication, Definitely. isn't it? makes people feel like they're not alone I think and it makes people feel that wow here's this person wants to listen to what's going on in my life Yeah. Mm. and that means a lot mm. and like when you used to do it waiting for the messes sitting outside for like 20 minutes early mm. the impact you don't know what the ripple effect is yeah no you're right yeah I think that's something as well that we often and obviously of course we're not doing it for this but that's something so often you don't see the the long term impact the long term hopefully yeah. positive influence you can have on we can have on each other you know mm-hmm. just by having those conversations just by giving someone else our time 
and all, or yeah, um, but it, it, it sure as hell is is there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, obviously, that's not what we're doing. You know, you know, we're not doing it for that. On an everyday level, we're doing it because as it comes back to what Yinka said earlier on in the episode today, it's that collective responsibility. Yeah. And it might sound a little bit, I don't know, cheesy in some ways, but I think it's, it's so true. I think it's such an important thing important value like social value is that collective responsibility is Massive. is the way forward I think so if you say that I don't know how long we've been recording but every what's the stat every 40 seconds somebody dies by suicide in the world right jeez mm. it's a lot isn't it it's a lot yeah. of people and in England one person dies minutes. Mm. So by recording within recording this episode it's Absolutely, yeah. two people maybe. Absolutely. And hopefully as you know part of what we sort of hope to get from yeah, not just this podcast but any other podcast is that um people who listen to this hopefully might just make them feel understood or listened to or um even though we're not in a direct conversation, but they can hopefully listen to this and know that they're not the only ones they're feeling alone. that and they're not alone. And that there is hope. Absolutely. Mm. There's hope that, you know, with the right support, things can, can change and can get better. Um, so, yeah. Just before we, we bring okay, this... Sorry, Brian, can I just say before we go on to the... Um, asking about our putting ourselves to work with some homework, just before we go on to that, I just want to say as well, it's you know that is the hope for the listeners but also for myself as well you can mention before uh, about you know being affected personally by someone who who'd, um, who died by suicide and I myself during during lockdown an old school friend of mine was um, sadly died by suicide and it's just having this conversation today has been really powerful for me you know just listening and, and sharing um, our time and discussing the subject has been a real uh, it sounds a bit I don't know cathartic experience it really has you know as much as I work as a therapist um, so I know we've said this about 10 times already but please have those conversations because there is hope and there is support so yeah it could be a lot better but it's um, it's you've got to start somewhere is, you've got to start somewhere yeah absolutely yeah. Is, is there anything else Yinka that you wanted to say or that think that we've missed out or no no I don't I mean we could have gone on yeah mm. for ages definitely could have gone on for ages yeah and like like I said at the beginning you you know this subject is a big subject there and we could probably do a whole series on it we could do 20 episodes more 100 on it um, what we wanted to try and hopefully get from today is a bit of an overview um, just to let people know that they're not alone that there is hope break down some of those barriers some of those sort of um, myths and stigma. just and, 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 and the stigma and just to get a little bit of understanding about you know language and um, things like that and um, so hopefully we've we've done enough to at least do an overview well we've started the conversation mm. yeah which is important you know mm-hmm. put it out there user putting it out there you know and long may that continue yeah it needs to be put out there and I think as well we you know off recording we spoke about this we just 
your average Joes on the streets, <laughs> yeah. just cracking on, trying yeah. to do the best to support people yeah. in the best way possible, you know. And, he, and each other, you know, and each, yeah. supporting each other. And, uh, and, yeah. and you know, with the average Joes off the street, because we're all waiting to finish this to go on. <laughs> 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 go on, Ed, do you? But just one, one more thing, just, just very quickly. We ask each of our guests at the end of the podcast to give us a bit of a homework task, um, something that we may give a client to go away and do, um, something that we can try for a week and then sort of reflect on it the week after. So I don't know if you've got any, <coughs> could be a ground and exercise, a reflective exercise, could be anything within reason. I'm naughty because I haven't done my own work on this one. <laughs> you know? Can I mention something though? Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen, Have you read the book, The Boy, the Mole, the Fox and the Horse? No. Do you know I heard about that book for the first time this week? I no, think it's no. in a bestsellers oh, list at the oh, moment, isn't look, it? Look, it's going to be the bestsellers list for years. Okay. So if anybody wants, and I'm not on commission here, <laughs> right. but it's a beautiful book that I, I personally believe all therapists should buy. Right, buy. okay. The boy, the mole. The boy, the mole, the fox and the horse. It's 128 pages long. Oh, I've seen Can that. you give us a bit of a snapshot? What's the... It's about... Is that it? That's the one. Yeah. It's about hope, fear, love, anger. And as I say, and I recommend it to a lot of my clients, it's a book for you, it's a book for now, it's a book for these times, it's a book for life. Mm. We will read that. Well, I've just, I got it up on um, a well-known website where you can get delivery the next day. And I've just I've literally just ordered as you were speaking then, so I will start reading that tomorrow. Yeah. Um, when it comes I'm gonna give you the spoiler alert, but we're not gonna talk about it. You're not gonna record this. Okay. okay. It's just it's just for use. Oh, okay. oh yeah. that. that's the that's the exclusive yeah. uh, exclusive <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Yinka, thanks thanks very much for coming in today. I've really enjoyed it. It's quite a emotive subjects um, but um, I hope the listeners feel it when they listen but I've really enjoyed mm. yes. being able to sit down and talk about yeah. it in the way we have and I think I'm glad you didn't hesitate using that word enjoyed mm -hmm. because what we're trying to do is normalise mm. yeah. talking about this yeah. should not talking about suicide should not be taboo yeah. okay it should be there for all of us to have that those honest and open and transparent conversations about yeah. how we are feeling Definitely. and how we can best support others yeah yeah well said yes yeah. and just to echo what brian said we really do greatly appreciate your time i feel like i've learned a lot i have thoroughly enjoyed it as well we've had a good good laugh good chat and uh, i'm sure people have taken away an awful lot from from our conversation there so thank you hopefully we'll, we'll see you again sometime hopefully and thank you for having me here yeah. cheers Inca. cheers go I think uh, that's a wrap. Yeah, thanks for having me. Wasn't too bad, was it? No, it was sound, it was sound. I think we, like you said, you had the framework there. I don't know if I conveyed everything that it was. Ah, we nailed everything on it by the end. Yeah. On, the, on our plan, yeah. Very good, 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 good. It's time to like, get me our plan, but it's a bit too strict. No, but it's too